Coming up on this episode of The Courage to Change. Do you think that the fact that that it was two males um, interacting sexually had a part to play in why you were afraid of it coming out? Yeah, yeah. Because I was raised in the 90s, you know, and I, there was two different factors. There's two males and we're family, so that's molestation and that's homosexuality. That's, mm. that's totally two, two different issues. And for that to come out, like, that was going to be a right, thing to, right. to, to, to just blow up in the community. Hello, beautiful people. Welcome to the Courage to Change Your Recovery podcast. My name is Ashley Lowe Blassingame, and I am your host. If you're here for the first time, welcome. If you're returning, welcome back. Today, we have Keith Smith. So Keith hails from the Bahamas. He likes to think of himself as a citizen of the world. His smile, charisma, and energy are contagious. But as a child, Keith experienced a point in time where he lost his smile. From the age of 8 to 12, Keith was molested by his cousin. Eventually, he turned to alcohol as a way to numb his feelings. One day, after experiencing an anxiety attack while walking through a grocery store, Keith realized he needed to get help. He enrolled in a treatment program and embarked on a journey of learning to love himself, a journey that helped him find his smile again. Keith now serves as a community facilitator for Lion Rock Recovery and is proud to host the LGBTQIA plus community meeting on lionrock.life. Keith believes that obstacles are only an opportunity to move towards greatness. I just got done recording with Keith and he was such a joy. We had such a fun time. Um, It's so fun to do episodes with people you just kind of riff with. And that was what we had. We had a really great time. And Keith, you know, it's Pride Month and he talks about the complexity. You know, the thing about molestation as a child, and, and I mentioned this in the in the episode, is that when your first sexual experience is one that is confusing, it often leads people to struggle with identity later on in life. And whether they whether they end up being, you know, straight, gay, or anything in between. And Keith talks about that. And he talks about the way, you know, he the way that alcohol played a role in helping him through this journey, but then how it turns on him and and that he he really gets he, you know, has a moment where he really gets in touch with his feelings around that, you know, you can feel him transported back to that bottom, back to that moment. And it's really, really powerful. And, and it's so cool to hear about what he's doing as a community facilitator and the support that that particular support program is bringing him and the growth that it's allowed him to have. He starts out in 12-step and migrates over to community, which is a support group that we created that is more open for people recovering from anything. And he talks about how that has helped him. And just a really, really cool thing to hear about for me having you know, been at the, at the start of that and seeing that it is changing people's lives. So, so freaking cool. So happy pride month. I hope you enjoy this episode. Keith is just a hoot and go check him out on Thursdays and Fridays on the lionrock.life platform, the LGBTQIA community meeting. All right. Episode 104. 
Let's, I was going to try to do a Caribbean accent because Keith is from the Caribbean, and I'm really glad I didn't try that. Okay. Episode 104. Let's do this. You're listening to The Courage to Change, a recovery podcast. We are a community of recovering people who have overcome the odds and found the courage to change. Each week, we share stories of recovery from substance abuse, eating disorders, grief and loss, childhood trauma, and other life-changing experiences. Come join us no matter where you are on your recovery journey. Keith. Welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited to have you. I know you're nervous. Deep breaths, deep breaths, all good in the hood. You're in the Bahamas, so isn't everything supposed to be cool, calm, collected? Yes, and it is. And I am cool. This is my cool, calm, collected. Oh, I like it. I like it. I'm trying to, I'm pretending I'm in the Bahamas, which is not working very well (laughs) because I'm in an office. So there's that. Keith, well, thank you for coming. I'm so, so excited to have you here. Um, we are starting off season three with a quote-unquote bad haircut pick, but everybody keeps sending me these pictures. I'm like, I don't know. That's not bad. But I have this haircut pick or hairstyle picture of you, and you have the uh, blonde, the blonde uh, party, party time, excellent going on. Tell me about what's going on. Cause you don't have hair on your head anymore, but at this time you did. So tell me about this picture that I'm looking at. People can go and find it on our Instagram, the courage to change. <laughs> well, um, that picture, I think I was, at, I was 22 at the time. Um, I lived in Denver and just was having the best time of my life. And that hair was, um, to me at that time, was a source of freedom of how I could just be myself with no judgment and don't even care what anybody thinks. So it's like, why shouldn't I go blonde? I should just do it. And I did it. And I did it for a year and I loved it. Why'd you stop? I don't know. Maybe because the blonde started pulling my hair out. Oh, you know, that, yep. yeah, so I do know. Like, I know well. all about that. <laughs> well, I love it. Okay, so time of your life. Well, you did you grow up in the Bahamas? Yeah, I did. I did. Born and raised here um, on an island but, called Grand Bahama. But you left to go to Denver. Yes, where I attended. Well, not Denver, Boulder. Well, okay, where you went to college. You went there for college. Okay, that makes yeah. sense. I was like, who yeah. leaves the Bahamas? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so you grew up in the... Okay, so you grew up in the Caribbean, and um, your parents were both pastors. So you probably grew up very involved in the church. What kind of what kind of denomination? I know it was Christian. What, what, how would you describe the church that you grew up in? It was very... Um, if people know, it's very Pentecostal, Church of God, you know, believe in... Um, Demons believe in like oh, you shouldn't do certain yeah we shouldn't do certain things um if you're gonna do it you're gonna um, burn in hell and 
Uh, a woman shouldn't wear pants. A woman shouldn't wear jewelry. Oh wow! You know? yeah, no pants, was, huh? No pants. No. Pants. I mean, I guess that that's doable in the Caribbean. Of course, women shouldn't put, wear pants. You're in the Caribbean. That's doable, <laughs> right? Pants, or you shouldn't wear pants, but you should wear a bathing suit. Yeah, <laughs> right. That makes total sense. Can't can't imagine why those two things. Okay, and no jewelry. That I couldn't live with. Yeah, no jewelry. It was a part of the um, Pentecostal rules. No jewelry, mm-hmm. you know, they use that um, scripture, a woman should adorn herself. You now, there's a scripture where a woman should adorn herself. It was basically you have Doesn't to... Doesn't that mean she should wear jewelry? Exactly. Exactly. It was totally different. But, you know, oh. I felt like it was a mind um, control thing when mm-hmm. when it comes to denomination. Mm-hmm. So my view about God has totally changed from when I was a child growing up in my parents' house. So, so they were both pastors in the same church, which means that women could be pastors. So that's more progressive than many. So it's interesting. They had some progressive measures and then some not. And, and, uh, were you, how how many brothers or or sisters did you have? I have six brothers and two sisters. Well, now one sister. So my sister, I had a sister died last year. Um, So yeah, now I have one sister and six wonderful brothers. So small family. You come from, you know, just a, like a, you know. Actually, okay. we say it like that, yep, that's a very small family. <laughs> that's a very small family. Just a, you know, basketball team or with some, <laughs> with some alternates on the bench. Okay. Well, and uh, are you close to, are you close to your siblings? Were you close growing up? Growing up, we were, we were close, but we, we didn't have that, um, intimacy relationship that we now have now Mm. we have this intimacy relationship growing up we we had a relationship because we were siblings and then we were taught about how your siblings should be your friends your cousins should be your friends and that's what um, made our relationship normal to us so i have a relationship with my siblings but i really didn't know them now I know my siblings. I know them as friends. I know them as fathers. I know them as brothers, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's a totally different. So one of the big features that you grew up with and, and that you've talked about is that, um, you know, at age eight, you were um, molested or you were molested by a cousin um, who was, and you were molested from age eight to 12. And this was something that you thought was normal because why wouldn't you? You didn't know any different. Now, I th- I hear this commentary a lot from people, just generally, not necessarily even per se about molestation, although that too, but just none of us know as little kids what's normal and what's not. And sometimes we can feel that something doesn't feel right, but we don't know, you know, if we don't have any other experience. And in this case, when it's a family member that you trust um, or someone that you're supposed to trust, and then I'm sure that the Christianity piece of it, maybe there were opinions about what was going on that maybe were floating through your head. What can you tell me about this experience? Because I, I know that it changed so much of the course of your life and your recovery has, has colored your recovery. That experience was what based my whole life about everything. That was the beginning of everything that I was about to go through in my life. Mm. That was like the starting point. 
And it was going, it was the starting point of ongoing things. Okay. At the time, like you said, you're, you're a child. You don't know what's going on to you. It's normal. Right. But as you get older, you realize this is wrong. And then not just that, if your family find out the embarrassing factor that will be tied to it. So you right. can't speak about it because not just that you came from a Christian home. I was Caribbean and mm-hmm. not just Caribbean, I'm black Caribbean. So those factors filtered in. What do you talk about and who do you talk to about it? Nobody's talking about it. So what kind, what, what kinds of things, how much, so two questions, how old, how much older was the cousin and what kinds of things made this different from like when you look back different from um two kids playing or experimenting to you know to violation because i know a lot of people they have this question when they look back they're like okay well was it you know they they try to make excuses for the person so how how do you how did you look back and define those two things because this is this is what i define it as him being older he should have known better me being younger, he was in early teens. So he, I, in my mind, he probably was exploring his body, his situation, but him pushing it on me, I don't know if that's to say two kids playing because it went on for years. Right. And, and I think, sorry, go ahead. And his development was more advanced than mine. So at right. some point he should have known or oh, thought, hey, this is not okay. But where did you thought that for you to stop? Yeah. Why do you think that what, and and a lot of so many, I mean, I, I, I have childhood sexual abuse in my history, so you're not alone in this and, and going back and looking at it, same kind of deal. Um, someone I knew neighbor older. So, um, I, I relate to having this conversation and the difficulty of it. So I appreciate you having it with me. How, you know, a lot of the time we don't feel comfortable to say, to stand up for ourselves and say no. And people who've never had this experience or people who have, sometimes they blame the person for not saying anything. Like, how did this go on for, for this many years? And you didn't stop them if you weren't, if you, you know, didn't want them to do that, et cetera. What do you say to the people who don't really understand how that works, how you can have something go on for a, a long period of time like that and, and not know how to say no? Because all of us comes from a different tribe. And within mm-hmm. that tribe, our background is different. And that tribe teaches us something different. Your tribe could teach you how to be bold with your voice, be bold with what's going on in your life and take it back. My tribe can teach me, we don't talk about these things. Mm-hmm. We don't say these things. Do you know the embarrassment that this thing holds? And right. for me, as a child, I knew that my dad was a was a pastor. My mom was a missionary pastor. So I couldn't say these things that this was going on in their home. And it was happening to me and what it was going to do to their image in the community. Right. So you're protecting so, your parents. Yeah. And at the same time, my voice is being taken away from me. Mm-hmm. So, and this is what I would say to someone who doesn't understand and say, how did you allow this to go on for so long? It's because what I was taught now, I wasn't taught this 
in this situation, but right. my pea brain that I have, right. I thought it applied to all, all situations, situation, right. you know, so you can say, how did you allow it to go on? And when I can say you wasn't raised like I was. And, this and how was that? Like, what were the things that you were told that were going through your mind? You know, certain things like, um, and then see, the cousin that this was happening to, this wasn't a far cousin or second cousin. This was the first cousin. Right. And um, how do I, as a child, go to my mother and say, this is what happened because my mother didn't allow this um, this relationship to be an open relationship where a child can come and talk to her, you know, and the relationship is such a strong Christian Bible thumpers, I call it, that they still believe in God and he fixes everything, mm-hmm. you know, and if something is going on with my child, God will fix it. Do you think that the fact that the person, that, that, that it was two males um, interacting sexually had a part to play in why you were afraid of it coming out? Yeah, yeah. Because I was raised in the 90s, you know, and I, there was two different factors. There's two males and we're family, so that's molestation and that's homosexuality. That's mm. that's totally two, two different issues. And for that to come out, like, that was going to be a right. thing to, right. to, 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 to just blow up in the community, you know. Yeah, yeah, and you knew that early on. But then, so it... So it does start to come out, right? It does, this This does end up coming out. Can you tell us a little bit about that? It started to come out when um, it was happening to my little brother. And he told a friend of his, one of my little brothers, and he told a friend of his. And that friend went to um, the consular at school. And the consular at school called social services. And social services then came to our house to talk to my mother. And I will never forget that day. That day was, I don't know, it just, I say, turned everything upside down because my mother was so angry. And the way she reacted to all of it was what I thought an adult wouldn't react to something like that. You know, an adult would want to know what's going on, why um, this is happening in my home to my children. And if it's to this one, there's more. Mm. that this is happening to. But she didn't react like that. She just was out of control and she just told the ladies, no, this can't be happening in my home. This don't happen in my home. I'm a Christian. I'm a Godfather woman. I raised my children like this. And, she, and that young girl is lying. Mm. And because who my parents were in the community, social services believed her. Yeah. Yeah, they believed her and they said, okay, you know, just make sure that they're okay and things like that. And I will never forget after they left, my mother never spoke about it anymore. I don't even know if she spoke about it to my dad because we never talked about it. Any, nothing. And I remember wondering, like, is someone going to talk about this? Are we going right. to talk about this? Right, this right. This is an opportunity right here for us to let this out. Did you talk to your brother about it? No. No. No, but I remember feeling, but how could he do this? And then he's doing it to me, so I'm not special. Right, that one piece of it, this is such an interesting thing, right? Which is like, these things happen to us, and then there's this one piece of it that that we're getting out of it, which is that we, it, and they, um, they did a thing on this with Michael Jackson and the kids that he abused, where it was like, 
you know, they same kind of deal. They're like, well, you feel special. Like if yes, you know, it's not the, you know, probably not right and not this, but you, at least you feel special. At least you, at least this person thinks that you're special, even if it's in this weird way. And then you find out not only is this happening, but you're not the only one, you're not special. And so it takes it to this whole other woundedness, which, you know, I feel like that's the human condition to be you know, you want to find the silver lining, right? Like the silver lining is that, well, at least I'm, you know, really, you know, special in this scenario. But I can imagine that that was painful. Did you, you know, what were you, did, what kind of conversations did you have with your cousin? Did they, did it ever come up? Him and I never had conversations. It was just yeah. like, um, bam, bam, did this. Okay, you could go out and play now. Mm. And as I got older, it was the same thing. Yeah. But I remembered, like, as I got older, like I said, I I thought I was special, but I found that I wasn't. But then I remember going into teens and thinking that I don't have to date anybody because I have this person here who feels this way about me because now I'm thinking that this is no longer a bad act. This can be love. Right. And and you... So skipping ahead a bit, you do, um, from my understanding, you're part of the LGBTQIA community. Yes. How do you, how do you identify? I don't believe in labels. Okay. But if I do identify, I'm gay. Okay. But and do you, so did you know that at the, did you know that you were going to identify as something other than, you know, heterosexual at the time, did that, did any of that occur to you? How, how has that been, you know, how does that play into what we're talking about? That, that occurred to me as I, I grew into a teenager. It occurred to me because I remember um, having my first girlfriend mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, I didn't feel like that way about her. I yeah. just was um, excited about going out on dates and stuff like that and having my yeah. brothers around. But it wasn't like, I remember looking at other people, like a friend who's bringing his boyfriend. And I'm like, oh, okay, I like those jeans he's wearing. Right, right, right. He's cute, you know. And I remember thinking, damn, am I bisexual? Because there there was a, a disconnect there for me because I didn't have, I felt I didn't have the, the choice to choose. Right. Because what happened to me, so did this, them from this right or is this natural right how confusing very confusing so then i i had a lot of fight coming and i wasn't aware of it one thing that um i've worked with a lot of people you know of all genders who have been molested as their first sexual experience and i want to just put out there that it's particularly Men who have been abused as young boys by other boys, by other men or boys as their first sexual experience, the sexuality piece is really difficult and it doesn't matter whether you turn out as homosexual or not. The straight men have as hard of a time with it as the homosexual men or anyone in between. And it's something that's really interesting. You know, it's not, I don't see it quite as much with the on the, you know, female side, but this particular issue, and I think it's important for people to understand and to hear from you, it doesn't matter whether you're straight or gay or anything in between when your first sexual experience 
is something confusing, it, it confuses things throughout your life and that's normal. Yeah, for sure. It, it confused the hell out of me. I remember even going through, um, feeling this way whilst I was in college and I blame the act, the motivation yeah. for yeah. it. And I'm like, why? Because, and I mean, this is my truth. I felt, um, being gay was a lonely life. Like right. you really can't find nobody to connect with and the, and the community is just based on sex and drugs. And that's the only mm. way we can connect and people don't see personality because when <laughs> they first meet you, they don't see a person that, Hey, this is my person. No, we're visual creatures. So the first thing right. they see is your face, your body. And that's how they, they form this connection with you. And I was going through a lot of things that I didn't understand. So yeah. I, I was missing a lot. <laughs> I grew up mostly in the San Francisco Bay Area. And uh, my the first wedding I was ever in was a gay wedding. And so as you're saying, like, it's a lonely life. You know, it's boring. There's not, I'm, I'm, I'm like, uh, you've never been to San Francisco because... It's none of those things. It looks, everybody's having a great time. But yeah, if you, you know, if and also if you're told that, that it's a sin and that you're going to burn in hell, I mean, that's, nobody wants to burn anywhere. And uh, so those types of things, I'm sure, are swirling around in your head. How did alcohol play into this story? How did, you know, what, what did you, what, what I always say, we hired alcohol for a job, right? To do, I hired alcohol for a job to do. What job did you hire alcohol to do for you? Alcohol first played into, um, you don't do that. That's a sin. You'll go to hell if you become a drinker. Alcohol's a sin? Yeah, that was a oh, sin. God, what are you supposed to do? I don't know, Ashley, but I was about <laughs> to find out, girl. I was like, I find it out. Yes. Like, they say, don't yes. do this. Yes. I'm going to oh, do hallelujah. it. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, it's about time a brother broke out. Oh, man. I mean, I feel like it's like, here's the problem, right? Like, I, I bet you can agree with me. At the point where I'm, a, I'm like, everything I'm doing is a sin, I feel like there's no way to redeem myself. So might as well go hard in the paint, right? Like, if we're going to hell, I'm going to drive that bus. So at that point, you just, it's just an encourage, it's just a, a, a you know, a, a permission slip to to go ham. So yeah, I mean, I get it. Yeah, it was a permission slip to go home. And I knew when I was going to go home. I had the date <laughs> on my calendar. This is when I leave for college. And when I catch that flight and I hit down, I remember getting off of Continental. I don't know if Continental still flies. And when I, I hit, merged with someone. Okay, when I landed in Denver, I remember getting off the terminal and I just kissed the ground. I said, yes. Freedom. <laughs> I'm gonna oh, break out. That is hilarious. Also, coming from the Caribbean to Denver as freedom is actually just that. That's just it's just a funny image. Like, I'm thank God I got out of the Caribbean. I'm in Denver. Yeah, I mean, sometimes you gotta let that flag fly. So you get there, you get to Denver, and. <laughs> how how does that play out, right? Because it's, it's what's funny is you're Black Caribbean Pentecostal on in a place where you're in that community where you theoretically fit in. You fly to Colorado, get off the plane, and you feel like you can be your true self. 
Yeah. That's an interesting thing, right? Because some people would say, well, that doesn't, how does that work out, right? Colorado is a pretty white, straight-laced, you know, place. What's, what happened for you there? It was white, straight-laced, Boulder, (laughs) and I was in Boulder. It was very white, straight-laced. Yeah. And, but see there, what people don't understand, it, it holds a difference. First of all, my parents was not there. Right. Anything. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't have family members around watching your every move who could call yeah. and say, he did this and he did that where this place. And, and then your parents call and say, where were you? So I didn't have that around. So right. I was like, this is freedom. So I got there. I got involved in different things, trying to find who I am. I got involved in being gothic. I got involved in being <laughs> a club kid. <laughs> Oh my God. I can't. I need those pics. I got involved in a lot of different things. I remember just spending four months being gothic, then I switched to club, Mm -hmm. being a club kid, going to Tracks 2000, you know, with the the raves. Yeah. So I wanted to find who I was, you know. um, Yeah. And without these um, um, strings, pulled me back in you know I didn't I didn't have that so alcohol became the um the base for having fun right yeah it it just started off as having fun well it started from I was 16 but it wasn't as serious until I hit boulder and then that's when it started you know I didn't know that it was gonna woke woke up something inside of me yeah and then I was going to use it as a protection. Right, right. Because it doesn't start out that way, right? It just starts out as just a, a big party. How did you make the shift from that, you know, this is just partying, normal college kind of deal to, oh God, I have a problem? I made that shift when I realized that um, I was, alcohol was causing me to be extremely emotional. I I went to the, I started off as the emotional drinker where I would just cry and drink and I felt like nobody loved me. (laughs) So were you the life of the party? (laughs) (laughs) You're like, there's this guy, he's just crying in the corner, I don't know. (laughs) Nobody loved me. Yeah, and it started off like that, like nobody loved me and then it started off like, why am I gay? Why do I find guys attractive? Why couldn't, right. you know, and it it didn't work like how I thought it was supposed to work. Right, right, right. You know, and it, it, it became a true representation where alcohol is different for different people. Mm-hmm. For me, it triggered stuff. And then I moved into depression and I had to have either someplace where I was staying or living I had to have alcohol hidden mm-hmm. in the refrigerator, in the bathroom, underneath the cabinet, mm-hmm. someplace in my vehicle. I had to have it someplace because in my mind, I couldn't process anything without it. It made me, it made me that guy starting off to be that guy. Right. Mm-hmm. But it was getting me in so much trouble. What kind of trouble? It was getting me in trouble with myself. Mm. It was getting me in deep trouble with myself. I didn't know it until it stopped manifesting itself. Stay tuned to hear more in just a moment. 
Hi, it's Christiana, your producer. And if you're like me and you love coffee or coffee alternatives, you can now shop with the cause by visiting lionrock.life and clicking on shop. 100% of the profits fund substance abuse treatment for those who can't afford it. You can't really go wrong. We're now carrying, in addition to our amazing coffee, if you haven't tried it, matcha maiden organic matcha powder. Love me some green tea. Golden Grind Turmeric Latte Blend and Prana Chai Original Blend. So we've got something for everyone. We love mixing these delicious coffee alternatives with something like milk or almond milk, oat milk, or even just hot water. The organic matcha powder is vegan-friendly, gluten-free, dairy-free, and simply delectable. The Turmeric Latte Blend, the winner of Australia's Best Beverage product in 2017, helps bring about relaxation and restoration while also nurturing your body. The prana chai, that has been my pregnancy craving, it's amazing, is blended in Melbourne from all natural ingredients and uses 100% Australian quality honey blended by hand with tea and whole spices. By shopping for coffee and coffee alternatives at lionrock.life, you are also helping provide substance abuse treatment for someone who can't afford it. Your favorite drink with the cause. So again, go to lionrock.life, click on shop, And you'll see our coffee and our brand new coffee alternatives. We hope that you enjoy it. Send us a picture. Maybe we will feature you on our Instagram as well. Did you, were you finding that you were getting, you know, like people talk about like consequences of their drinking? Did you, did you go to jail? Did you get a DUI? Did you like, were there, you know, consequences outside of yourself? No, I was a careful drunk. Mm. I, w- I was a very careful drunk because I was afraid. So right. I never got DUIs. I went, I, I, my brothers then say I was in holding, but I say I was in jail. Okay, Ashley. I went, <laughs> <laughs> I went to jail for one night. They say yeah, you, you holding did. Key. I was <laughs> in jail, buddy. I did it. But. <laughs> Before that happened, because that happened later on in my life. But right. while I was drinking, I was always careful because I had a fear. I had a big fear. And this fear was that I was going to kill someone whilst drinking. And no offense to anybody who that has happened to. My heart goes out to them because I can't even imagine. But that was one of my fears. So I was reasonable. I was extremely careful. I would drink mostly when I was at home. Yeah. Mostly. And when I do drink, when I'm out, there was a person, another person who would be driving. (laughs) I have a funny story. (laughs) I have a funny story for you. So I'm a couple of years sober. I live in an apartment by myself and I'm in my early 20s. And I decide one night I'm going to drink, like that I'm going to drink again. But I know that drinking and driving will end up being a problem and... I, and at the time, Uber and all of that weren't around. So I'm like, okay, well, I got to figure out what people, how do people do this? How do they drink and not drive and not get, so I start Googling, you know, how to drink, how to drink and not drive. What are the, the legal limits? And I start looking into like the legal limits based on how much you weigh and your gender. And it's like a whole math problem. Right. And so I'm looking it up because I'm trying to figure out how to do this like a normal person. Right. And I'm deep into the internet about how do you drink like a normal person and not kill people drunk driving, right? 
And it's like three hours later and I'm still like, I don't know how, how many drinks can I have of, of what type of alcohol? And I stop and I realize that normal drinkers don't spend three hours on the internet trying to figure out how to drink without drinking and do it legally. And I was like, oh my God, I have to stay sober. This is way too complicated. And I didn't drink. That was the end of that. It was like so calm. I'm like, I can't, I can't relapse. This is way too complicated. I will, I will definitely injure someone. I can't do it. So I relate to your, relate to your feelings. Do you, um, do you, did you end up getting any kind of treatment when you did hit that? Like, what was the turning point for you? Well, I hit rock on them many times, but I just ignored it. I was like, rock yeah, totally, like, totally. <laughs> yeah, let's keep digging. Let's keep digging. That do not exist here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. Maybe I, if I close my eyes, it won't be real. Yeah. I hit rock bottom many times. Um, the turning point for me, I knew there had to be a turning point, but I didn't have that situation happen to me where it really hit me until about um, two years ago, two, two to three years ago. It didn't hit me. I... Um, got in an accident in one of my cousin's car, burned the car down. It still didn't hit me, but I knew that I need help, but I wasn't ready for that help. So wait, wait, you got in an you got in a car accident and the car burned down. <laughs> yeah. Were you like, oh no, I'm gonna burn in this car, not in hell? <laughs> you, that's not something you hear every day. I got in an accident, I burned the car down. <laughs> yes, I hit, and the car was on fire. But this is oh yeah, I was drunk that I didn't realize the car was on fire. So the police oh, was like, you got to get out the car. It's on fire. I'm like, oh, <laughs> oh my god. Oh my God. There's like so many jokes about burning in hell in like, <laughs> I don't know, especially my, if it was, if it was a shitty car, like there's another joke about burning in, in some sort of hellish car. Anyway, moving on. So, so, okay. So you get in this car accident, but you don't, this does not. That did res- not phase Yeah. Me. Yeah. The, the burning car, just another Tuesday. Okay. Yeah. Moving on. So what, it, what happens next? got in a fight with my cousin for that. He pushed me down the stairs. I got this big gash in my head. Um, it still didn't faze me. But then I lost my 10th job to alcohol. And um, my cousin lied on me, and I ended up in jail. My brothers didn't say holding, but I say jail. <laughs> there were bars. I wasn't allowed to leave. It's jail. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I ended up in jail. I ended up in a place that I've never been before in my life. And that was one of my biggest fears. And I ended up in court the very next day. And I remember seeing everybody I know and my family was there. Oh, God. Yeah. It's like a school recital. Everybody showed up. <laughs> everybody showed up. <laughs> you know, and I remember um, feeling so traumatized from it. Not the people feeling traumatized of being in a cell and, and feeling that I've lost my freedom. Not freedom being out in the world, freedom of who I get to live my life as. And that's what the, the bars reminded me of. I don't get to be whoever Keith is. And right. I won't get that if I'm behind bars. Yeah. And I remember after the car being over, I was just shaking. 
because that is one, never happened to me before. Two, I ended up someplace where I did not want to be. Yeah. And three, how did I allow my life to get to this point? That was the rock bottom I needed, actually. That, that, that took. <sighs> so. No, don't be sorry. That took the life out of me. And the worst thing is, I didn't know what I was going to do. I didn't know how I was going to get over this. I didn't know how I was going to find out and who was going to help me. Mm. I always knew that I needed help, but I didn't know what avenue I was going to find it. As smart as I thought I was or as educated, this has nothing to do with education. Nope. Nothing at all. So you can have all the group degrees, the master's hold all the top positions. This has nothing to do with it. And I didn't know how I was going to get over this one. And alcohol was not going to be the go-to because it was going to only make it worse. That was my rock bottom because now my body, my body physically, I just would break down crying and I didn't know how to stop my body. I didn't know how to control it. And the anxiety would just hit at any, at any time, any place. I'm six yeah. one and I was in the grocery store with my cousin and she's about five, five. I'll give her five, five. And I remember, <laughs> I remember us um, in the grocery store shopping and I just had one simple thought and that triggered an anxiety and I just broke down in the grocery store. And I remember my cousin trying to reach up, <laughs> comfort you, comfort you from yeah. from the from below the altitude. <laughs> and I'm thinking, wow, I'm just my body's just out of control. I'm like, she can't reach. I can't reach, but I can't stop my body. Yeah, I can't stop my body, and. I remember her taking me to this therapist that she went to. This lady was like 80 years old. <laughs> and the first thing she asked me is, are you married? And I'm like, what the hell type of therapist is asking me if I'm married? Lady, I'm experiencing something I've never experienced before. And you're asking me if I'm married. But um, apparently she's seen some <laughs> rough marriages. <laughs> She's like, this looks like that one marriage I saw that one time. All right. So he looks like the husband. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Oh, man. And she just wanted me to get some help. So, but that didn't help me. So I remember being in my apartment, you know, um, about to lose that. And something just said to me, um, you need to go to rehab. And that's where you're going to find out. And if you go to rehab. Don't do outpatient. I even don't know what is outpatient. I'm like, what the hell is outpatient? And this voice is just speaking to me like you and I are having a conversation. You know, people say divine intervention yeah. from God, their higher, my God. And it said, um, look in the phone book. And I looked in the phone book and I found a place in Florida. And at the same time, my family 
was about to do an intervention with me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so the door, and I knock on the door, and I open the door. It's my cousins, three of my cousins, and, and two of my brothers, and one of my aunts. And they were like, we need to talk to you because we think this is enough. And they look at my apartment, they're like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm packing up. And they're like, where are you going? I'm like, to rehab. <laughs> Easiest intervention ever. <laughs> yeah. They're like, God, we're good at this. <laughs> really, we really, man, we're just overprepared. Yeah. So they were like, that's what we came to talk to you about. I'm like, well, y'all doing a good job. Yeah. So um, one of my brothers was like, well, whatever you decide. One of my brothers didn't show up because he said it's enough for him. And that hurt me because I'm extremely close to him. So he saw me through everything. But he was like, that's enough for him. He can't do it anymore. And um, I sent him a, a text message and I'm like, I'm, I'm going to rehab. And his response was, yeah, whatever. Message me when you were serious. And... Mm. Um, I went to rehab in Florida, and before I went, there was, um, I started researching, and the Bahamas does rehab here, but they did it on another island, so I reached out to them, and they were like, well, whatever you want to do, we will be the um, part where we assist you. So the rehab I went to in Florida was about just two months. Okay. And the rehab here... <laughs> it's six months. But the good okay. thing is I only had to do it for four months because I already did two months prior. Ah, loophole. Time served. Yeah. So, and I'm thinking, oh, I could do outpatient in the Bahamas. And here comes this voice, divine intervention. Again, like I invited in, in my life. Nope. You're going to do inpatient because if you do outpatient, you're not going to get it. And the rehab in Florida was like piece of cake. Um, you get to keep your phone. <laughs> you messaging people and all that. And I'm like, okay, cool. I like this. I definitely thought it was going to be the rehab I saw on television. And I get back home to the Bahamas, going to the rehab here at Sanderlands. And I walk in. And first of all, they take your phone. Mm-hmm. Like, we ain't having no phone up in here, buddy. Like, no. And it's like, what kind of place is this? And they treat you just like you're in prison because they want you to be serious about your program. And I remember walking in for the actual Ashley Brothers, walking in with all these bags and <laughs> thinking, oh, I get to dress up every day. Oh, my God. <laughs> They're probably like, what is this guy thinking? Yeah. I get to look good. And maybe I can meet a doctor here or something like that. <laughs> I you know, love that's, you. That's all in my head. I can meet a doctor here. He's not going to care that I'm in rehab <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> Why not date the doctor while you're going through this situation? I mean, look, I I like your optimism. It's really, it's, it's, you're making power moves. And all of that went through the window after the first two hours when they said, you're going to have to have clean the bathrooms, you're going to have mm-hmm. chores, you're going to have to work at 5 a.m. in the morning. It was like, what the hell? Because they tried to change, give you a new routine. So you mm-hmm. can wake up intentional. 
So I have to learn how to be intentional for the first time in my life, which I've never been before. Because drinking, I would wake up and say, oh, the alarm is going off 15 more minutes. 15 mm-hmm. more minutes will turn into three hours. Then the next thing, my entire day is gone because I'm trying to get over a hangover. Right. So I had to learn how to be intentional. And Just have kids. <laughs> They'll get you the fuck out of bed. <laughs> be intentional all day long. Really. <laughs> I'm not sure that's a that's a great solution for sobriety, but it is a great solution for getting up. <laughs> so they get you to be intentional and think about these things, and you um, you come out. So you come out of six months of inpatient, and do you stay in the Bahamas, or what? What happens? You know, after you get out of rehab. Well, first of all, before I got out of rehab, I did. I have this biggest fear of what's going to happen to me because I don't know where I'm going to go. What's going to happen to me? Right. So I find that doctor. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't. There was a nurse. <laughs> Damn, the nurse didn't take my number. Ashley, he's like, no, you're a patient. Rude. <laughs> I'm like, I'm going to see you out of this joint, but. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know what's going to happen to me because I didn't basically have no more money. I had $200 left in my bank account and I couldn't go home because the hair goes this voice again saying to me that that island you live on is not for you to go back to. And I was like, what am I going to do? I have no job. I already lost my job. I have no more money in savings. What am I going to do? And they push you out, so you have to start looking for a job. So um, my first week and of looking for a job, I got this call from a lady, and she was like, hi, Keith. And I'm like, that's me. Who else could be answering my cell phone? I didn't say that a lot, but I was thinking that in my head. <laughs> <laughs> she was like, oh, um, I was wondering if you'd be interested in an interview. I was like, okay, sure. What I got to lose. So... I Did you ask what the job was? No, I didn't. Okay. You are an easy sell, my friend. Okay, Listen. keep going. You're Listen. like, fuck it, whatever. She called me. Give me that interview. Okay, okay. <laughs> she Get your stripper me. name ready. Pine Dale Tiger, just so you know. <laughs> oh, okay, okay, good. All right, you have it in the back pocket. Okay. Um, she interviewed me. She told me that uh, some folks are going to be calling me. And um, I got the call for a first lady. And then I got a call from this gentleman with this nice, soothing voice and with an accent. And I still didn't ask what the job is about. And he was like, Keith, um, I saw your resume and I really like it. And I was wondering if you would come work for me. I still didn't ask what the job for. And he's like, well, and you have to, um, we're going to set up your clean ticket and a place for you to stay. And I was like, oh, I even don't care what this job is about. I'm sold because <laughs> I didn't have no place to go. Um, I couldn't go home to farm because they didn't want me. And um, I needed to do this on my own, whatever it was. And um, there's like, we need you to be here on this month. We're going to fly you here to Canada with a train. Then we're going to bring you back. And when I got to rehab, because I thought it was a joke. 
really. Wait, did they tell you what the job was? I mean, I feel like yeah, it was it was um, project managing for a uh, uh, private island. But actually, oh. every time I speak to someone, I would forget to ask what was the job about. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was so excited that it just went off my head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that, I mean, that's great. We like enthusiastic workers. <laughs> So you do you so you stay on this island and you go and they, they provide you with housing? Yes. Everything. That I can what house Oh my gosh. Yes, I got there and this everybody was just so nice. Still has that two hundred dollars that I had when I was a real. There I you still go. Have it because I'd never spend it because I don't know. My higher power was just working for me. Apparently. And, um, or for the dude. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for the dude giving you the interview, either way. <laughs> so I get there and um, I was just completely worried. There was worry. And I didn't know how I was going to do my recovery being so secluded, what I was going to find there. Well, um, I didn't find anybody who was in recovery. I just basically, when I talked to my therapist, because her and I would do a Zoom meeting, she was like, did you know there's online meetings that you can attend? And I was like, really? And she's like, yeah, you should try and look into it. And this she was me a year old, I take it. <laughs> no. no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. And she sent me a link. And I went to a meeting, but it was like a European meeting. Everybody was speaking either Italian or French. Mm. And I was sitting there and I'm thinking, I only know cosmology. I didn't know French or Italian. How am I going to relate to these people and what they're talking about? So, um, I couldn't, I couldn't understand. So I just start researching and, um, I research until I found Lion Rock. And I remember going into Lion Rock for the first time and I'm hearing this raspy voice, which is Miss Judy. <laughs> this raspy voice. I'm like, oh my God, who's this lady with this raspy voice? <laughs> but it was raspy enough that it took my um, attention that I wanted to attend it more. Interesting. Yeah, she was very engaging. She was very welcoming. Yeah. Um, at the time, it would only be like 12 people in the rooms, 18 the most, you know, so, and she would just be very engaging. And then I met Brandy and a few other people. And I was like, okay, I can do this. If this has to be my norm, then I will have to use it as my norm because for right now, I want this life. And I need healing. And whatever healing looks like for me, that's what I'm going to take and use it. And Lion Rock became a source. It became our source for liberation. Liberation. Lion Rock. You, you participated specifically in LionRock.life, right? The, the platform, not the professional programs. Yes, yes. Lion Rock yeah. platform. That's what I participated yeah. in. And it became a sauce because then I started to meet other people like me 
I knew there was from rehab, but I didn't know it was on such a big scale like this. Mm-hmm. So, um, and it created this form of intimacy. You know, you always have, you have that intimacy where in dating, you careful what you let your guard down and who you let it down for and to. But when you walk into those rooms, it's like your intimacy just dropped. And if someone asks you what is intimacy, you're like, well, it's because you're comfortable. You became comfortable and it, it pulled you in. So for an entire month, I didn't share. I mm. just observed. I just listened to what people have to say. And I just didn't share it because I didn't know these people. Yeah, bitch. I'm trying to get you up in my business. <laughs> you don't know my name. <laughs> oh god i can't so okay so month goes by and then you feel liberated no i got um triggered um, for an anxiety attack okay and um there was nobody around to assist me on that level but something to say go into go go on the platform see if there was a meeting yeah and there was a meeting that was the first time i opened my mouth and I actually shared. I was finding my voice now. I was finding my voice. I was finding how to open up about this. In in rehab, I I, I slightly opened up, but there was things, deep rooted issues that yeah. I needed to open up. That peeling away the layers only that will work. And these issues was not just about alcohol. There was more. Mm-hmm. And um, I opened my mouth and I speak. And everybody didn't judge me. They didn't care. And I remember looking at the cameras at people's faces. And you know, if you like tell someone like something to to normal people, they would like, yeah. damn, he did that. <laughs> Shut your mouth. Oh boy, how you did that? You know, everybody in the room was like, just see head nodding, nodding their head. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like they understand. They know what you're going through no judgment and i was like wow this is the place for me this is what i need and i need to share more if i want this freedom i need to share more did you so you started out um doing 12 step meetings and cuz that that was you know where you started from what you're telling me on the platform interesting to me um you now host or facilitate community meetings which is a, a, you know, a support group that we started for people with all sorts of types of recovery that's, that tries to be even less, you know, hold even less judgment. How did you make it from the 12 step side to the community side? Or how do you, how do you have, how do those two different support groups play into your program? I remember when community was coming out and how it was advertised for people suffering from all walks of life. Sorry, I remember being excited because I wanted to know about it because there was this itch inside of me that was saying, dude, alcohol is not just the issue here. Right. And you need to get to the point where you need to talk about everything that happened in your life for that liberation to be sounded and for you to walk in that freedom. I remember sitting there and he's like, welcome to community. 
and he just went into the spill of our community and he started talking about something and he just gripped my attention. I was like, oh my God, I love this meeting. This, is this the same community or are they playing tricks on a brother? Like, what's going on here? Because I ain't got this community before. <laughs> oh, it's so I good. did not get this community before. I'm like, they'd be holding back on me just because I didn't <laughs> attend meetings in the day, you know? So, and I was like, and I remember the hour went by so quick because everybody was sharing and they was like, this is what's going on in my life. This is what's happening. And I was like, I don't want to share. And after the meeting, I remember sending him a message and I'm like, you are amazing. Thank you. That's it. And he was like, thank you for being here. Keep coming back. Um, I appreciate you for being here. And I left. And I tried to attend his meeting before in the day, but I didn't have time. But I remember wanting more of community. And I'm not saying yeah. this because I'm a community facilitator. I'm saying this because community gave me this escape. Because there were people in the meeting that said, hey, I was raped. And I'm here because I'm raped. When AA was people saying, I can't relate to this because this is just about alcohol and I'm a shoplifter. And community allowed them to be in a space where no matter what you're recovering from, you're just as important. And that's, <laughs> it became special for me. And I was like, I didn't even know. I, I went in A meetings and I'll bring these topics, talk about, it's like, let's talk about this. And, and I remember getting a side message from one attendees. It's like, this is an A meeting. This is not Oprah. <laughs> and I'm like, like, wow, that's too bad, right? <laughs> oh, so, man, that's funny. And then I, re I was like, okay, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm going to keep on attending these AA meetings. And then um, I got a message from Leo asking me. He said, hey, I was in one of your meetings, and I really liked it. Did you think about doing community meeting? I said, like, oh, oh, my God, a community meeting? And um, the community was, like, offering me what I was looking for. It was just a personal choice. It had nothing to do with, oh, um, this is not good for me or anything like that. It was just offering me what I was looking for in my recovery process. This is what recovery allows. Recovery, for me, recovery allows me to process these feelings that I've never processed before. And um, instead of using the bottle and not process them because of the bottle, I have to be present and process them. And right. It's going to hurt me. It's going to maybe hurt the other people. But for me, it's a lesson. And I can use this lesson to continue my living. Because remember, for me, I don't know who this kid is. And that's what a lot of people don't know. They see the smile. They see my great personality, my beautiful hair. Just joking. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know him. I'm just learning him. I'm just learning to right. get to know him. Right. So you started you started facilitating community meetings and since you've started doing that what does what does your recovery look like how has it changed your recovery 
it has changed it because I I realize a lot of different things. I didn't realize before community that my mental health was important. In order for my recovery process to continue, my mental health has to be intact. Right. All of this um, depends on my mental health. And if it's, if it's not in a good place, I wouldn't continue in my recovery process. Right. Right. Because mm-hmm. this is really, this is, you know, recovery is about mental health and using is, is about anesthesia, right? It's, it's, it's about not feeling. And it's really important for us to recognize that we are in recovery for our mental health and that our, our addiction, our substance use is a, a piece of that, a part of that. Mm-hmm. And nobody taught me that, Ashley. Even being in um, rehab, they spoke about your mind, body, soul, and mind, body, and soul for the whole man. But I never grasped that my mental health has to be intact for my body and my spirit to connect. Because if I don't have my mind, how are these other things are going to operate correctly? And they, yeah, they won't. They won't. And that's what I learned in community from other people sharing their stories and opening up about what's going on in their life or what they've been through. I've learned that I have to be in a state to be, I have to be, in order to be in a present state, I, my mind has to be able to, to um, process this state. And if my mind is not able to process it, I don't get to live the life I'm called to live in recovery. Right. It won't happen. And how do I be in this state? I have to take care of Keith at all costs. And if that means my boundaries is staunch and saying Keith comes first, which I never did before in the past, and people are offended that I'm saying that Keith comes first, then they just have to be offended. Yeah. And that's, that's not, hard, right? Mm-hmm. That's, that's a hard thing. It's a hard thing to, to deal with when you're used to needing approval. Yes. Yes. And now you are learning how to take care of you, which I didn't know how to do before. I thought taking care of me is making other people happy. And then I get this feeling, this joyous feeling that I did something great for somebody else. Right. And I'm able to pull up myself, pat myself on the shoulder and say, good job, Keith. But that was a false feeling. One of the things that's interesting, you are currently, as we spoke about a little bit earlier, the, the community meeting that you facilitate is actually, um, the, I heard someone call it the alphabet gang, the LGBTQIA plus. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that that's centered around that. How it, it's, you know, especially growing up the way that you did and some of the messages and trying to find yourself learning about mental health, how has facilitating that specific, you know, recovery support group along with the topic of you know, identity, you know, sexual or gender identity, how has that changed your recovery? It has changed it because I feel like I'm now being able to be open about who I am. Because whilst I was in AA and 
I was wondering, man, is there other people like me out there? I can't be alone. I can't be just gay, recovering, been through this whole process, and there's not other people out there who was gay because what that lifestyle is so based on sex, drugs, and all of that. And I'm not doing that mm. no more. I've never been in a relationship. I've always just slept around, and I'm not doing that anymore. And how do I now relate to others without with pulling this thing away that I thought made me relatable, which is alcohol, how I still be a part of the community. So I wanted to, to learn. And when um, LGBTQ, at the time it was LGBTQ, not IA, but now it's IA. When LGBTQ was launched, I was like, yes, yes. Liberation in another form. Because to me, liberation can be in any different form. It's just not one thing. It's a right. whole it's another form. piece of the another piece of the puzzle. Yes. And I was like, yes. And then when I went into it, I was like, yes, there was other people out there who were talking about their addiction in different ways and what they're going through. And they were talking about how hard it is to date now. And I wanted to hear that. And I couldn't yeah. find it in no other meetings but there. Yeah. So it was stripping away the layers of my pain in another area of my life. It's so cool. It's I, your story is just super powerful, and that that we get to be a small piece of that is you know is feels really really good. And you know I. I I, I really appreciate your vulnerability in talking about these things. And I love when people can connect to their feelings because sometimes when you, you know, one of the things is about being sober a long time is you tell your story a lot of times and it can be hard as you, you know, go on longer and longer and get further away from the story to connect with it. And I just love that you're so connected with it because it's really powerful for people to hear and to feel, to feel vibrationally the impact that these scenarios, that these situations have had on you. So thank you so much for being so vulnerable with me and sharing that with with the audience. I really appreciate that. And it is currently Pride Month. And I'm wondering if you could give us the time and day of your your community group, your community support group, so that people can check it out if they are feeling the need for connection. Oh, yeah, sure. Um, LGBTQIA is on Tuesday nights at 8 o'clock Eastern. I'm bad with time zones, so I can't tell you what time that is central. (laughs) (laughs) So just Google. I'm sorry, Google it. It's 8 o'clock Eastern on Tuesday evenings, and it's 8 o'clock Eastern on Friday evenings, and we would love to have you there. We also invite people who support the community. So it's not just yeah. off to people who are just LGBTQIA. It's also people who support the community. So I have a lot of people that comes in that are not LGBTQIA, but they support the community. So all is welcome. I love it. I love it. So if you're looking for this meeting, you can go to lionrock.life and the meeting is at 5 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Mountain Time, 7 p.m. Central Time, 8 p.m. Eastern Time on Tuesdays and Fridays. Again, that's 5 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Arizona Mountain Time, 7 p.m. 
Central Time and 8 p.m. Eastern Time. So definitely check that out. Keith, thank you so much. Thank you, Ashley, for having me. So, so happy to have you here. This podcast is sponsored by LionRock.life. LionRock.life is a recovery community offering free online support group meetings, useful recovery information, and entertainment. Visit www.lionrock.life to view the meetings, schedule, and find additional resources. Find the joy in recovery at lionrock.life.